Good morning. We're going to spend some time in the book of Philippians today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. It's also in your worship folder. Will you stand with me as we read God's word? Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do come before you. We are thankful for your word. And we are thankful for your people that we can gather here this morning and worship you, that we can gather here this morning and hear from your word, hear from you. I pray that you would give us hearts that are ready to listen, that are humble, that are ready to respond and apply your word in our lives. And I pray that you'd help us to do that together as your people, living for you, advancing your gospel in the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in preparation for some future travel in the next few months, I realized that I needed to update my my passport. And I took a look through my passport book and I saw the various places that I traveled and brought back some good memories. And I also remembered that when I took my picture, they wouldn't let me smile and my hair was kind of up, so it kind of looked like a mugshot a little bit. I was like, oh. But I also looked throughout this passport book and I saw all kinds of quotes and statements. And here's one on the front page of a passport book. It says, the Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby request all whom it may concern to permit the citizen of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance or in case of need, to give all lawful aid and protection. You see, passports provide documentation of citizenship. It's calling the other nations to recognize that the owner of this passport is a legal citizen of the United States. In essence, it reveals who we belong to. Now, our translations don't make it initially evident, but but our passage speaks to this very theme, citizenship. Not an earthly citizenship, but a heavenly citizenship. And the Apostle Paul is reminding the church in Philippi who they belong to and where their citizenship lies, and it makes all the difference. We haven't spent time in Romans, so just going to give a little context to kind of bring us up to speed to get our bearings in this book. The, the, The church at Philippi, they were facing opposition. They were going through difficult circumstances and they also knew that Paul, their spiritual father, was was in chains. He was in prison. And as a result, they had lost their joy. They were experiencing deep discouragement. 
But not only was there discouragement, there was disunity in the church. And Paul knows that a church that's filled with discouragement, crumbling under the pressure of opposition, and a church that's filled with disunity, grumbling with one another, they will have a loss of missional effectiveness. Their witness will suffer. So here's, in this book, Paul calls this church to link their joy to the gospel and its advance and not to the up and down circumstances that they experience. And he also calls them to put on the mind of Christ and to have the mind of Christ, this humble, sacrificial mind, putting the interests and the needs of others above themselves. Because what Paul is ultimately driving at here in this book as he talks to this church is he's about the progress of the gospel. Just kind of follow along with me down in in chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Or in other words, to the, the progress of the gospel. And Paul also awaits his trial, maybe leading to death, but he believes he's going to live so that he can labor for the Philippians. Look at verse uh, 25 in chapter 1. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress. This is the same word in verse 12. For your progress and joy in the faith. See, Paul's priority in life was the advancement of the gospel It's progress in the world. It's spread in the world. And he wants the Philippians also to make progress in their own faith, to be spiritually growing so that they can glory in Christ but also participate and partner more and more with Paul in the progress and advancement of the gospel. He knows that as they are strengthened and deepened in their own faith, it will strengthen and deepen their missional effectiveness and their witness. Another place in Philippians, I'm just going to read it out for you. In chapter 2, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So as this church, as they make spiritual progress together in unity, they will shine like lights in the world. My mom's a a preschool teacher and she always shares quotes with us that she hears from the preschoolers. And there was this one preschool boy who was kind of grumbling and complaining and crying a little bit. And this other preschool girl comes up to him and says, you know, if you're whining, you're not shining. (laughs) In essence, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, if you're whining, if you're grumbling with one another, You're not going to be shining in the world. Your witness is going to to suffer. Your missional effectiveness is going to suffer. So he says, don't grumble with one another, but make progress in your faith together so that you can shine like lights in the world. So why does this matter for us? Because what's true of the Philippian church is also true of us, that if our church is filled with discouragement, crumbling under the pressure of opposition, Or if our church is filled with disunity in our relationships, grumbling with one another, our joy, first and foremost, our joy in Christ will dwindle. But not only that, our missional effectiveness and our gospel witness together as a church will suffer. So Paul, what he's communicating here is that we have a new citizenship. We have a new citizenship with a new calling to live a life worthy of the gospel. 
And as we are making progress in this, living this out, living out our calling together, it will shine like a bright light in the world, even amidst opposition. So first thing, as we start in verse 27, to kind of set the tone here is this reality that we have a new citizenship. Now, some of you in your footnote there in your Bible in verse 27, it may say this, um, that it could also be translated, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. Now, later in the book, in in chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's the same language here in our passage, this idea of citizenship, that we are citizens. And so he's saying, only let your manner of life behave as a citizen of heaven. He says, you've already become citizens. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That, in a sense, is an assumption that he's, he's making here as he's talking to this church. Now, why is he using this citizen language? Well, it would have been extremely relevant and resonated deeply with this context. Because Philippi, was a, it was a flourishing city. It was a leading urban city with great financial opportunity. And it was a strategic location for agricultural reasons and, and military reasons. And it was a Roman colony. And it prided itself in its Roman citizenship, which gave them privilege and status. And its allegiance was to Rome. And so in the heart of this city, it had a special place for the Roman emperor in its heart. And at the time of of this letter at public events, it would have included an an acknowledgement or a time to give honor to the emperor, to the Lord and to the Savior in Rome. You know, when I grew up in Texas, every morning we would stand up and we would pledge allegiance, right? But not only that, we would also pledge allegiance to the Texas flag, Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to the Texas one and indivisible. (laughs) Now, the frequency in our context of singing the national anthem at sports games or saying the Pledge of Allegiance, that's how frequently at public gatherings in Philippi they would pledge allegiance to the Lord Caesar. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Savior. That's what was going on at large communal gatherings in unison. So Paul is reminding this Philippian church that they're ultimately citizens of heaven, serving a different Lord, serving the true Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says they are in Christ and they belong to him. So you could see how the conflict would start to arise as their citizenship is put on display. There was a cost for them as they pledged allegiance, not to Caesar, but to Christ As it was on the table, as it was visible, as it was known, there came opposition and there came conflict. And the same is true of us today. As our allegiance for Christ is lived out, there will be opposition. There will come persecution. There will even come suffering for the name of Christ because our world, it's crying for and craving for our loyalties and our allegiance, and calling for us to embrace its ways, and calling for us to embrace its desires, assimilating to it. So we have to start, as we continue on with the rest of our, our passage here this morning, is, is where is your citizenship? Where is your allegiance? Who, who do you belong to? No matter what your passport may say, if you're in Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. Belonging to Jesus, 
the one who reigns as Lord and Savior. We, we have a new citizenship. But with that citizenship comes a new calling in life. What is that new calling? Let's look back at verse 27. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come to you or see you or am absent, I may hear of you, you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We're citizens of heaven called to live lives worthy of the gospel. In other words, live a life that's consistent with the gospel, that's in harmony with the gospel, that reflects the gospel, not the world. And as we do that, as we make progress in that, we will shine like lights in the world. Now, this is not just a a general call that we're to interpret ourselves and, and fill in the gaps ourselves, but really the rest of these chapters in Philippians actually details out what this life, a worthy life for the gospel actually looks like. So we get in our passage the start of this, and you could sum it up like this. It says, a life A life lived worthy of the gospel is standing firm together, laboring side by side for the gospel with courage against opposition. Those are some of the details of what it means to live out our new calling. We're going to take those three points, standing firm together, laboring side by side for the gospel, and then with courage against opposition. So first, stand firm together. Whether Paul's with them or whether he's apart from them, he desires a consistent way of life so that they're standing firm as the people of God. He, he knows what they're facing. He knows what they're experiencing. He knows the pressures that they feel each and every day to assimilate to the culture, to succumb to the culture, the temptation to be quiet and remain silent. And amidst this, he says, stand firm in one spirit With one mind, a communal call to perseverance, not calling it quits, but remaining steadfast under the pressure and the weight of opposition. I remember a father told me a story about his son who was on a travel basketball team. And when they were out in a different city, they were going to go to a restaurant and a team uh, member suggested that they go to a restaurant where there's inappropriately dressed servers. And the young man was a Christian. And he didn't want to go to this restaurant and he believed that it wouldn't be honoring to the Lord if he went there and and, um, the team insisted. They decided to go, but the young man refused to walk in these doors. And he said, you can bring me my food outside. And despite the jeers, despite the mocking, he remained steadfast through the temptation to crumble and assimilate to what was normal on his team. He was standing firm and persevering So that his light, his life might be a light to his teammates. Now this is the idea that Paul is getting at here in our passage. But it's not a grit your teeth, do it yourself, standing by yourself. It's in one spirit, ultimately, with one mind. It's a communal call and a spiritual reality. I think when it says one spirit, I believe it's referring to the Holy Spirit. That we're standing in the one spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has united us together as the people of God and is enabling us to stand firm as the Spirit works in us. And with one mind, in a sense, with one soul, our priorities, our purpose is together with the advancement of the gospel, this mission for Christ. 
So where are you called to stand firm for Christ? Where are you experiencing pressure? Maybe it's subtle pressure at work. Or maybe it's not so subtle pressure at work. There are temptations and pressures that can be extremely strong. Vocal opposition that you might be experiencing from your neighbors, from your boss, from family members even. Maybe your job is being threatened, has been threatened. Maybe you've even lost your job for the sake of Christ. Or maybe you have publicly and humbly spoken the truth about God's word and experienced the conflict and opposition from others. Criticism from others. It could be a lawyer putting pressure on you, a financial advisor putting pressure on you, a family member wanting you to live a life that is not consistent with the gospel or make decisions that are not consistent with the gospel. Our passage calls us to stand firm together, trusting and depending on the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to persevere. And as we make progress in this way, we will live lives worthy of the gospel. But not only stand firm together, Paul says, labor side by side for the gospel. Look back at verse 27. He says, with one mind, striving side by side. Now, we tend to gravitate to the the John Wayne, the Clint Eastwood heroes, the do-it-all lone ranger. But in reality, in Christianity, there is no room for just a me and Jesus. There's no room for that. We're called to a a side-by-side Christianity. Me, Jesus, and the church. This is the reality that we're called into. But it's hard to pursue because the church, it is impacted by relational challenges and with disunity. Church life does get messy and it gets hard, but we're to maintain and to pursue unity side by side. But this is not just a let's sit around and sing kumbaya, my Lord, and pat each other on the back. That's not the reality that Paul is getting at. We are called to maintain fellowship and grow in fellowship and support one another and care for one another. But he's even pushing us a step further. He's not just saying get along in Christ. That is true, and we need to get along in Christ. But he's saying get along in Christ so that you can get stuff done for Christ. Together, we're to get along with one another so that we can get stuff done for him, so that we can make impact for him in our context. You know, as I was thinking about this, what what came to mind was, was a game of rugby. Pastor Moody would be proud, wouldn't he? Now, I've never really played rugby outside of when I was in seventh grade in my backyard or my grandma's backyard with my cousins, and we kind of made up the rules as we went. But what drew us to rugby versus football was the idea of a rugby scrum. (laughs) If you've ever watched a rugby match, we tried to imitate this in my grandma's backyard with my cousins on one side and cousins on one side, arm in arm, going against one another, pushing against one another, trying to get the ball there in the rugby scrum. That's the image Paul is getting at, is this this laboring together, this working together, this moving forward, advancing together, side by side, linked arms for the advancement of the gospel. So let me ask you this morning, are are you a, a lone ranger in Christ, trying to make impact for Christ, trying to live out your faith in a John Wayne fashion, or are you locking arms with other believers? Not just trying to live in a harmonious life together, but to get stuff done for Christ together. 
Do we have this type of spiritual drive and focus that Paul is calling us to? Even when it gets difficult, getting along to get stuff done, reaching the lost, caring for one another, publicly standing for Jesus. Now, two weeks ago, dozens of our high school students in their public high school were inviting their friends at their school to come hear the gospel. And they would invite their friends and somebody came and shared the gospel and five students responded to the gospel in their public high school as they heard the gospel. 20 other students were renewing their faith as they heard the gospel. As these students were were linking arms, locking arms side by side so that they could advance the gospel in their context. Another group of students is trying to to set up a, a Christian club so that they can do the same in their school. What's it look like in your context? to lock arms with Christians so that you might advance the gospel and labor together, working hard, striving side by side. Maybe it means starting an evangelistic Bible study with other Christians at your work. Or maybe it means getting there early one morning with other Christians and praying for the unbelievers that are there. Or maybe you're a mom here this morning and it could be attending the mom-to-mom ministry, laboring and partnering with the other moms so that you can support and welcome other moms into the community here. It could be with your small group, not just to care for one another and grow in fellowship, but to seek to make impact together and getting stuff done together for Christ, holding one another accountable to that. So stand firm. Labor side by side with courage against opposition. Verse 28 says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. See, Paul directly addresses and and puts in front of the church and us this this reality of the opponents that that they are facing. Now, who are the, the opponents? Acts 16 gives us helpful context See, as the gospel is received in Philippi for the first time, as Paul and Silas are sharing the gospel, they're put in prison and they're accused of disturbing the city and holding to customs not lawful for Roman citizens. And businessmen were upset as they felt threatened by the ministry of Paul and Silas. So they threw them in prison. And most likely the the Philippians were experiencing similar types of opposition from similar types of people like this. And this opposition, they were trying to frighten the church because they thought that as they did that, that the church would be like a deer. If you've ever kind of walked up on a deer and the deer just scatters and runs, very frightened, very skittish. They thought that as they are, are putting pressure upon the church, that they would respond in that way. And here, Paul says, he says, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. He calls us together to stand firm without fear and with courage to continue to persevere, laboring together. Now we've said this opposition can come in a variety of ways, whether that's through your boss at work, whether that's through your family, whether that's through people that are coming up to you after some type of of speaking or teaching, whether it's through social media, in your schools, our cultures, loyalties, and priorities are not the same as Christ's. But our citizenship is ultimately not of this world. It's of heaven. And therefore, we have a new calling to live by. Standing firm, laboring side by side for the gospel with courage. And what does Paul tell us as we move at the end of verse 28? He says, this is a sign. This is a clear sign to the the opponents of their destruction 
but of your salvation and that from God. You see, the, the threats of the opposition is they were intended in their mind to keep them quiet, to keep them silent, to cause fear and intimidation so that they would feel as though they had the upper hand. But Paul says the complete opposite. He says as, as Christians are fearless and united together in this mission for Christ, it actually declares a different message. Listen to what D.A. Carson writes. He says, your change in character, your united stand in defense of the gospel, your ability to withstand with meekness and without fear the opposition constitutes a sign. That sign speaks volumes to the outside world and to the Christian community. A sign of judgment against the world and a sign of assurance that these believers really are the people of God. See, eternity is at stake. And those who refuse Jesus will receive destruction. But those who embrace Jesus will receive salvation. And when Christians live lives worthy of the gospel, laboring together and standing firm together against opposition, it shines like a sign and like a bright light, the victory of Jesus Christ. Well, looking down at verse 29, the calling of heavenly citizens to stand firm, labor together, it's going to be met with opposition. It's not only a sign, what we're experiencing, but it's a gift. Look at what he says. He says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. This word granted to us in the Bible is understood as a, a gracious gift. So not only is it a gracious gift to believe and have salvation in Christ, but it's actually a gracious gift to, to suffer for Christ. He's making a bold and difficult statement here and saying here as he tells us that opposition that we experience as we're standing and living for Jesus is actually a gracious gift. It's not a curse, but a privilege. Just like the Christians in, in Acts 5 as they were experiencing suffering, as they were put in, in prison and persecuted, they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And Paul tells us that suffering, standing and living for, for Jesus, it's not meaningless, but look at verse 29. He says it's ultimately for the sake of Jesus. He says it's been granted you for the sake of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake it's for Christ. It's not meaningless. And they're also engaged in the same conflict as Paul was experiencing. And not only Paul, but Jesus himself. They're identifying with the Savior and with the faithful like Paul. They're sharing in his sufferings. It's not a sign of rejection, but it's actually a sign of affirmation and assurance to the Christian. So this church was experiencing the same conflict that they, they saw Paul had. What did they see Paul experience when he was at Philippi? Well, he was sent to prison for speaking about Christ, doing ministry for Christ. But this did not prove to be a roadblock in Paul's life. What happened in Philippi, in Acts 16, as he was put in prison, is, is the Lord opened up the doors of prison, of the prison gates. And he, through that, was able to talk to the, the jailer there in Philippi and what happened is this jailer was converted. It provided an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed to this jailer and his family. And what do they hear about Paul right now? Is he's going through the exact same thing. He's in prison for his ministry and for speaking about Jesus. But what does he say in verse 12? 
He says, this was not a roadblock. This was not a hindrance. It's through my imprisonment. The whole imperial guard is hearing about Jesus. And other Christians are emboldened to speak about Jesus. It's actually provided an opportunity for the gospel to make progress. Paul's sufferings were a catalyst of opportunities for the gospel. This leads us to ask, how do we view the opposition that we face? How do we view suffering for Christ? Is it meaningless or is it for the sake of Christ? Is God rejecting us or is it actually an affirmation that we are identifying with the Lord? Is it a roadblock or do we see the opportunity in the midst of the opposition? A few months ago, I traveled to to England and I spent some time in Oxford. And on our beautiful walk around town, we stopped by the memorial of, of Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, and Thomas Cranmer. And it was near the exact place where these men gave their lives for the sake of Christ in the 16th century for what they believed about the Bible and about Jesus and his church. And they were burned at the stake along with countless other Christians during those years. And as many of you know, Ridley and Latimer, as they were burned at the stake, back to back, Latimer yelled out, it said these words, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust never shall be put out. They were standing for Christ and laboring together for Christ with courage against the opposition. And it brought about suffering in their life. It even led to their death, but it was for the sake of Christ. It was not meaningless. They were identifying with Christ and his sufferings. It was not only an expression of loyalty to Jesus, but but it actually helped advance his name as their life and their death was like a bright light shining in the midst of the opposition that they were facing, advancing the gospel. When we believe in Jesus, we belong to him. We're citizens of, of heaven with a new calling, called to live a life worthy of the gospel. Might come with opposition, might come with suffering, but as we make progress in our faith, living in this way, it will shine like a bright light to the world. So are we living lives that are worthy of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit and advancing the mission of Christ? College Church, let's stand firm together. Let's labor side by side together for the gospel with courage and the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we thank you that you have given us your word, that you have made us your own, that we belong to you and you've given us a new calling. I pray that you would empower us and enable us to stand firm against the opposition, to strive and move forward advancing the gospel in our context and doing this together with courage. We love you and we thank you. And would you help us this morning? In Christ's name we pray, amen.